What's up, guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Neo Vintage Podcast. I'm Jabril, and I'm here with... Steve, hope everyone's doing well out there. And for you guys who have never seen the show before, we're just two guys that like to talk over the biggest stories in gaming, but we always like to start with what we've been playing. So, Steve, what you been playing? Yeah, so, uh, that's a tough question. I guess <laughs> more of uh, what I've been playing. It's a variety of things, uh, but mainly, uh, I got my Steam Deck. My Steam Deck is actually... It was it was shipped. I, uh, no one hand delivered it, but whatever. Uh, so I've been playing a lot on my Steam Deck. Um, so I'm not gonna be able to recap everything I'm doing. I've been doing different uh, things on the Steam Deck uh, from different games, trying out uh, Cyberpunk, uh, Witcher. Obviously, is a big one everyone keeps talking about. So I've dabbled in a lot of little things, um, but uh, mainly that's where all my focus has been. Just because I've actually been kind of uh, driving the different places and different meetings and it's kind of been the the perfect thing to obviously have with me um and that's where like all my attention's been it's all been on the steam deck and i'm not playing anything one thing specifically uh the one thing i'm playing mainly on the steam deck actually that i've played a lot um and it's just because it's a comfort food game uh to me is persona 4 golden obviously i bought that on on steam uh when it was on sale a while ago and uh it's it's interesting because the steam deck will tell you um the, you know what games are compatible playable and uh not optimized but they have some term i forgot what the term it was for um and persona was a big one that kind of bro- broke uh, it was like a, its own little story when like oh persona 4 won't be playable on steam deck um and that's actually kind of a tongue-in-cheek lie uh anytime if one feature um and i don't i don't think you've gotten your steam deck yet but no uh, not so, yet yeah so this is kind of a it's, a it's actually a good thing uh it's a good and bad thing Anytime one feature in a game does not work, uh, the Steam Deck will tell you it is unsupported. Um, you can still download it, install it, and run it. Um, the only issue, so for like Persona 4 Golden, uh, the only issue, the anime cutscenes, uh, which is like the opening and, uh, you know, sometimes those interstitial things, obviously, Persona 4, everyone's played Persona 4. Those, like, sometimes after a couple of days or months, there's like a small anime, like actually animated cutscene. Yeah. Th- those cutscenes, because of the way they were done, you won't have sound. Um, that's it. Oh, uh, that's not that's bad. The, that's the one thing. And again, uh, you and I know that we've beaten the game, I think, multiple times. There are not that many of them. No. Um, so that's the only thing. Everything else works. Uh, the voiceovers during the actual game work, the music, uh, the battles, everything else is work. I have not had any issues. I didn't have to do any tweaking. Um, apparently there's like some weird program you can install on it to make those anime cutscenes work again i don't think it's worth <laughs> i don't think it's worth uh, diving into the files to tweak something that's so uh, little um it was the same thing with the um, i installed the master chief collection on there and um all through the steam os and uh same it told the, it told me that the game was not going to be supported um i jumped into all the campaigns played a mission in every campaign to test it out and it runs beautifully awesome beautifully now i i did not launch multiplayer because i know that is where sometimes there's a small issue uh, apparently the anti-cheat stuff isn't set up correctly uh, especially easy cheat which is the main anti-cheat on pc um that is where something goes wrong so i just didn't install the multiplayer it was the, not an issue <laughs> for for me i feel like for us um and and our and and for most people if you're going to be playing Halo multiplayer, that's not what you're going to do. It's not going to be the Steam Deck. You're not going to hotspot your phone to your Steam Deck. Now, to play the campaigns, I think that's where you and I really like to live in, especially for Halo. That works perfectly fine. 
absolutely I have no no issues um, I it just runs beautifully it runs beautifully this is a such a beautiful piece of hardware and it's just been it's been my addiction uh, just testing different games out seeing what works what doesn't work occasionally you need to do a little sometimes a workaround for specific games uh sonic adventure 2 uh through steam has always had like this weird thing even when i downloaded it on pc i needed to bring a file in uh the fix was actually easier on steam os it actually did it for me um so this valve valve did it right they, they knew what they were doing this is not like that cheap uh, cop out of you know console they did years ago um it knows what it's doing um you know and and it's good. And, and I know people like to say it's like, oh, you know, it's that inter, you know, it's that almost, you know, starting point for people who want to start getting into PC gaming because PC gaming is not as easy as just clicking the icon and starting the game. Um, and I think it works. I think this does help you familiarize yourself with because there is a desktop mode built into this um, where you can go to the desktop mode. And you have to tweak a few things. Uh, there is a sort of backdoor way to get Epic Game Store on there. Um, and Epic Games has been giving out two games free for years now. So I have a huge library on Epic Games. Um, you got to mess with the files, you know. And there's a lot of easy tutorials on there to drag and drop files, naming things and rooting things to different places. And I, as a nerd, I thought that was really fun. Learning how to do that I thought was really cool because that's something I haven't had to do too much on my PC. Um, if something just doesn't work, I would buy it on Xbox or PlayStation. It's kind of the easier way around. Um, obviously, having wanting to have that experience on that go made it so much easier now it's you know it's nerve-wracking because uh, you're you got to name things specific things you gotta need certain points uh, where they need to be but it works so my epic games runs through steam os now um not every game works uh to a certain extent i, I have ghostwire tokyo through epic games oh. uh because that's where i was gifted it so i can play it through my steam it's a little wonky um i definitely think i might just repurchase it through steam so it runs a little bit more natively um, but uh, the Batman Arkham games, which uh, infamously have always been pretty bad on Steam or on PC in general, uh, I have that through Epic, and that works perfect, not a problem. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a big thing that I was hoping to play is the Kingdom Hearts games, which unfortunately are not on Steam. They are only through Epic. Uh, those do not work. I don't know what is wrong with it. I did a million things. Um, not even Kingdom Hearts 3. I was going for the collections the all the remasters um i bought it through epic did the same thing i did through my little backdoor os system uh those games do not work i don't know what it is so anyone out there i, I i've seen people say they can get them to run uh i did everything and <laughs> it, it does not work so that way it's still a case-by-case -case basis i don't think they'll ever fully let you use your epic game account because obviously that's their main competitor on PC would be Epic. So this workaround works for now. I just hope they don't patch it out for any reason. I think it would be kind of hard for them to do that. Um, so it's been really great. Um, and I'm kind of going to leave it there because also I just talk about my Steam deck for, forever because just, there's so much, you know, there's just so much unraveling there. Um, and you jump in if you have any questions. But uh, yeah, I was going to say I had a couple absolutely. if you don't mind. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, so first thing I have is... The in-hand feel, like obviously this is a really, this is the biggest handheld I think that's ever been kind of like mainstream commercially yeah. released. Mm -hmm. How how are you liking it? Yeah, so when you first grab it, you're just like, ooh, this is a... Uh, it's a big boy. It's a big boy. <laughs> yeah. It's a big boy I'm looking at right now. Um, I don't know if they, they must have did a lot of like R&D and QA because it fits very comfortably in your hands. Okay. It actually at no point did I feel like it was heavy. 
Um, the only time I ever felt that, and I knew it was going to be that way, I laid in bed like on my back and held it above my head uh, maybe five minutes, and I was like, no thanks. I had to flip over. Anytime else I've had the system in my hands, it's never cramped. Uh, I actually had to go back to my Switch for to do something, and it was... It, the switch felt tiny. The buttons felt so tiny. My hands felt crampy a little because the switch is so flat. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the Steam Deck has those natural built-in curves, which I've always said was a as a joke a long time ago for my Vita. I bought these handheld grips, and uh, yeah, the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I used to say this is just how they should make the system. For sure. Uh, that's what Steam did. <laughs> it just fits very comfortably. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's that's what I was figuring. Um, and I was just wondering, like, how's that adjustment period? Because uh, some things I think you'll like snap to quicker than others. And I, I figured by the way that it was like designed that people would probably snap to the Steam Deck pretty fast and it'd make it weird to go backwards to like the Switch. So it sounds like that's the mm-hmm. experience generally. Um, yeah, it's it's very comfortable. Yeah. What Another thing I was wondering is, have you gotten the chance, because I know you've tested a lot of different games and you've tested compatibility, what runs, what doesn't. Have you pushed or have you launched anything on the Steam Deck that you would say is too demanding? Have you maxed it out yet and see like what the capabilities and the limits are of the Steam Deck yet? Or everything you've run so far has run really good? So everything's runs really good. Uh, different things... Um... Just like different variables, sometimes I just don't know why uh, certain games just run a little bit worse. Uh, okay. I've been playing Sonic Generations on there. Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, I have to cap that game at thirty frames, or it just starts. <laughs> it starts to melt. Um, nothing. I've even like when I've pushed some of these games. Obviously, it's a seven twenty p screen, um, and you sometimes you got to remember to go in there and change because it, it will pull almost all your settings from Steam. Um, so like. Witcher, when I went to play Witcher, it brought my save file automatically over. Um, but it was trying to output it to what I have it set on my uh, actual PC, which is obviously a lot stronger than Steam Deck. Um, and, but it didn't crash. It, I did realize I was like, it estimated the battery was like 30 minutes. And I was like, wow, that's a little less than I thought. Had to go into the settings. Obviously, it was trying to, it, it was saying it was an output to whatever I had at 1440p. Once I brought that all down, I mean, the game never even chugged, uh, even when it was. No, being awesome. forced to so it's i i haven't had anything crash on me i haven't had anything completely fall apart on me um the only game that <laughs> and i hate to bring it up that gave not gave me issues but that just felt like it was botched was <laughs> cyberpunk 2077 of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> which which surprisingly it started very okay i'm not gonna say good but it was okay for but i'm like i knew it was cyberpunk's fault not the steam deck um, then I got to the point where you first do your brain dance um, and does all the flashing lights and everything. When you got out of that system, when I got out of that system, every light source in my game was flickering. So I had to like boot it. And again, I was like, I don't think that's a Steam Deck issue. I do think that's just <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's the only time I've had that weird thing. Nothing else so far has like completely crashed or just did, refused to run. Okay, so for the most part, if it's compatible with the Steam Deck, there's no game that is necessarily too demanding currently. You just have to play around with the settings to run it a little better. Yeah, uh, pretty much any new game that I bought, it would um, Steam would auto max it out to the Steam Deck, okay. um, and that's per PC things usually as well. I will sometimes go in there and turn like you know that Chrome uh, reflection thing off and. And, and uh, fog, you know, there's a lot of little settings you can shut off to make things a little bit better. Um, 
but usually yeah this, it will try to optimize it to the most and then i usually go in there and just tweak it a little bit because i was like do, do, do i need especially in witcher do i need the hair like witcher on pc you have like hair physics and you can go high quality i'm like do i really need his hair to be that high quality so sometimes i'll bring it down um just to really keep that locked in 60 which is very smooth got it okay and the the the, the last question i pretty much had was uh related to xbox games so you mentioned the master chief collection um and i wonder how was that process kind of getting game pass and game pass on pc to run since um i I suppose using steam as a launcher is not a particularly complex thing to set up or anything like that yeah so i'm currently still in the process of getting game pass on pc oh okay so i have the master chief collection purchased through steam so oh i didn't know that was possible yeah, so the only Xbox game like I don't like Xbox Xbox games that I've played on my Steam are the ones that they officially also launched on Steam. Got it. Um, so Forza Horizon Five is on there. I I didn't purchase it, but uh, I'm very tempted to. Um, I know that and something else I own. I forgot what it was. That you you launch it as you would any other Steam game. Uh, the only caveat it does make you sign to your Microsoft account, which works because it brings my save. But when I brought hit when I open up halo it's like yeah you beat all the campaigns i was like what? yeah uh and it was just there so it's very smooth so there is some workarounds i know xbox has talked about like wanting to work a little bit more with valve to incorporate that i haven't theirs is a little bit more tricky to try to get uh the game pass games uh through steam just because this is all running on linux so the yeah. fact that there's not an official like xbox game pass linux thing uh, it makes it slightly more difficult. Got it. Yeah. So yeah, that was all the questions. Really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping I get mine sooner rather than later. I know the emails are going to be rolling out from I think April to June. They said so, and I think they drop them like every Thursday in batches or something like that. So we'll we'll see when I get my email. But I'm, I'm keeping my eye on it now. Now that I'm settled yeah. in my new place, I don't have to worry about the address concerns. Because that was the one thing I was mainly concerned about. I was like, oh, man, I hope they don't try to ship this, like, the week that I'm moving. And now I have to decide where to send it and just hope that it's in the place that I'm at right at that point. But now that I'm settled in my new place, um, it's going to make it a lot easier to kind of pick that up. And I'm just super hyped to play that because it, it's, it feels like the perfect niche in my life right now where it's... It's like I'm playing a lot of tiny like indie games, uh, some big stuff, and then also like that back compa- um, that that backwards compatibility of the PC market, where just everything is kind of not generational. And so like if I want to, I can just play anything from like Crazy Taxi to Horizon on there, and it doesn't really matter. Um, that's what I really want that flexibility. And right now, I don't have elegant solutions to that. So the sooner I'm able to have a handheld that actually plays old games and plays them well as opposed to Switch's um, offering right now, which is not my favorite, yeah. uh, that's going to be mm-hmm. great. Because that, that's a big thing is just a lot of those um, Dreamcast, GameCube era games is what I want to jump into the most and really kind of play around with it. And I feel like I haven't been excited to mod or play around with a handheld since like the PSP, I think, was like the last time that I was like yeah. this excited to just see see what I can do on the back end with this, this machine. And it seems like Valve's... Uh, done a, a great job kind of crafting experience that allows you that kind of flexibility of a true PC experience as opposed to that kind of kind of locked in console experience that we've kind of gotten used to especially uh, with with handouts so that's awesome yeah no it's it's really great and I it's one of these things where it's like I want uh, 
I don't know how I got mine so soon. I, everyone else that I know that was is is in Q two yeah, are just kind out. of waiting. And uh, well, luckily, once you get your email, um, obviously, oh, uh, you're like me. You're gonna push it through immediately. You're gonna purchase. Oh it. yeah, for sure. Because uh, you have your seventy two hours, I think, before your spot gets lost. Um, I did all mine on a Monday. I got my Monday email because I think now they're upping it to two times a week. So now they're doing it Monday and Thursday. Oh, so awesome. They're sending emails out. So you definitely keep an eye out because it may be any moment. Uh, pushed mine through on Monday, obviously, and I received my console by Friday. Friday, oh, I wow. home from work, it was home. Uh, you know, threw a terabyte as <laughs> a terabyte uh, SD card in there, and I like I'm set now for a little while. So it's exciting, and obviously, yeah, though there's a big community and i know it's a touchy subject but you know there's people out there who show you uh the emulations and things like that that run on there and it's it's just so much you can do and i feel like i've only scratched a small surface of what i can do on the steam deck um and like they're saying there's they're on top of it so usually when there's like a small issue uh that was pretty quick to patch it or whatever it was like we talked about the, the drifting yeah uh the drifting in the stick i i've never suffered from joy con or any sort of stick drifting in any system i've ever had uh, the the everything about the system feels very very tight, so it's felt it feels good. Like nothing feels like it's cheap gonna break. So it's really ex- it's a really exciting time for just this new this new contender in the in the in the in the era here. Yeah, I can totally see this becoming kind of my default number two. Like I'll have my PS5 to kind of run all the big boy stuff and my Xbox to do that. But to be honest, this is gonna certainly impact my xbox play and my switch play because if all the indies are available for the most part on this machine all the old games are available on this game i mean this machine like it really does impact the my need for other consoles so i'm very excited about this and i've always had that kind of handheld preference that's just since youth i've always had that kind of preference that i've loved playing on handhelds so if this is really everything that it chalks up to be which now that you have it in your hands you can basically co-sign it um this no, is absolutely yeah this is definitely going to be a, a game changer um and yeah so for me in terms of playing i haven't played a ton uh i beat ghostwire yesterday um okay. kind of just grinded out the ending it, i finished around 12 to 13 hours um which if you look online a relatively kind of straightforward game playthrough uh is around 11 hours i didn't even do many side quests at all um and for the most part i just focused on kind of collecting the the soul bunches or whatever they're called um i I just spent a lot of time collecting those and killing a whole bunch of enemies and so that kept me relatively leveled up throughout the experience so yeah i beat ghostwire yesterday really nice story i liked it um the late game really kind of like ramps up and there was one thing that i was building towards that it looked like they were going to add a new mechanic and i was really hyped about it and they it didn't end up being a mechanic end up just being kind of like a cutscene that launched into i was like ah, that that was annoying um but uh and then i can't talk much more about it than that because there's a lot of spoilers there but it's a late game thing but yeah overall i liked it a lot i didn't think it overstayed its welcome that's the big thing is um it kind of establishes a gameplay loop uh, early on and adds a couple things here and there. But for the most part, it, it kind of lays everything out for you. And then you kind of use those skills and uh, traverse the map and kind of experience it through through that frame. Um, and so I could totally see if this was like a 40 hour game that would get super old after, you know, 20, 25 hours. Um, but thankfully, it, you know, with it wrapping up around 12, 13 it certainly kind of exited in the perfect time for me. 
Uh, the cool thing about it is the moment that you end it, um, and this is not really a spoiler, there is like New Game Plus. Um, so you can keep that and you can go back in and do all those side quests if you want. Uh, and I would imagine, you know, with all your new abilities and, and all that, uh, it's going to make it a lot a lot more fun to go back in, especially those early game stuff. Uh, so, yeah, Ghostwire Tokyo, definitely top five of the year for me, no doubt. Uh, I wouldn't venture as far as to say it's like my game of the year or anything like that, but certainly up there, uh, cracked my top five very easily. And I'm just really uh, impressed with what Tango did there. Um, but you, you said you haven't really gotten a chance to go super deep into it, right? Because of the whole, like, you got it on Epic Game Store or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I got it through the game store, um, and it was just. And I played a little, I played like an hour on PC. Okay. Uh, then I played another maybe hour on, on on Steam Deck, and I'm not. I'm not again, I'm trying to think how far I'm. I last I really remember is they like taught me about the phone booth situation, oh. which I know it's got to be very early. Yeah, that's very. Yeah, that is. Uh, on, on that, and I'm. I, I want to say something else happened, but. I, can't even recall again i may just natively buy it on steam and restart it yeah yeah i think you'll you'll definitely get a kick out of it and it's a uh, it's kind of for me it was like an excellent kind of palate cleanser after um elden ring because yeah obviously like elden ring very intense tons of time into it i actually put elden ring a lot on a little bit of a pause right now i, I i'm on the last Same. boss of the game um and that phase two is just hurting me right now uh because i am because i played it so much like the specifically the last battle since i've gone through it so much i'm like almost able to get to phase two without sustaining almost any damage like i've gotten really good at it um and and i've been using my plus 10 mimic to kind of help me out but mm-hmm. that phase two there's something about the way it is that it really needs like it it's not that you need it but either you need to be really good at like measuring distance and hitboxes or you need to have some distance attacks and i have neither um i have distance attacks but they're weak as hell right now because i didn't rely too much on being a mage like i i I did kind of like a strength intelligence build but it's something i kind of adapted to late in the game um so i have some i definitely i have definitely have like different spells i can use but they're for the most part things that are best used like medium distance and phase two requires some real distance. And so um, the problem is if you bring in a random, it adjusts the damage you do accordingly to the boss. So it actually gets way harder if I bring somebody into my match as opposed to uh, just doing it myself because my damage mm-hmm. stays super high when I do it by myself with my mimic. Um, and if for anybody who doesn't know a mimic, that's an ash that you can summon that makes a copy of yourself. Uh, whatever armor, whatever weapons, whatever abilities you have when you summon him is what that will be. And it will just mimic what you're wearing and who you are. Uh, it essentially makes an uh, an NPC version of you. Uh, yeah. And it, it, it doesn't count as another person, but if you have like really good gear, which I do, um, it puts you in a pretty good position. And so with my mimic, we're able to like get him down to phase two very easy. But then when it comes to our phase one, but when I get to phase two, I'm getting washed. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to put a pause on this. I'm going to get back to it at some point. Um, I really want to do New Game Plus, but that this guy is just killing me. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm on the la- I'm on the very last boss of the game. I know that for a fact. I've looked it up, um, and so yeah, that is just brutal. But great game, and so I was like, I need something to like cleanse my palate. And I originally was gonna go for Kirby, but I was like, you know what? Let me just do Ghostwire, uh, and I was really, really, really loving it. So since I beat that yesterday, I'm gonna be jumping into Kirby next. Uh, that's kind of my my next thing that I'm really hy- hyped about. Lego Star Wars in the background still going on. Um, uh, I'm playing through it just kind of 
episode by episode taking my time with it uh i think i'm on empire right now so um we're making good progress on that but overall yeah i love it the game is phenomenal i mean everybody's kind of spoke its praises already but uh yeah lego star wars killing it they did they pretty much delivered on everything i was really hoping they would the dog fights are awesome the worlds that they created are huge all these basically they created a side quest mechanism that's like amazing um so yeah shouts out to them they absolutely knocked it out of the park and then just to wrap up my second real quick, uh, Castlevania Judgment. I picked up uh, a copy <laughs> on Wii. I picked up actually three games. Um, one of them is a Famicom game that's like, uh, it's all in Japanese. I can't remember the name of it. It's awful. But I wanted, they had a pretty well-priced Famicom game that had a really cool like label on it. Um, and so I was like, eh, I don't actually have any Famicom games. I have uh, that portable NES thing that we actually reviewed on this channel a long time ago that actually plays Famicom yeah. games as well. Um, and so I can play it that way because I don't have a Famicom, but I do have the ability to play. It's the same re- way I'm able to basically play um, Super Famicom games is using my Superboy, which plays both. Uh, same deal with this. And so I was able to play it on there. It's pretty awful, but it's nice to have. <laughs> Um, I also got a copy of Chrono Trigger, finally, physically, because the uh, English one is just so unreasonably expensive, and the DS version's hard as hell to find. Uh, I always wanted, like, a physical of this. Again, if you want to play this game digitally or whatever, there's a million different ways you can do that, so that's, I'm not concerned about that. Um, Would I like a, like, a Switch re-release? That'd be cool, but once I get the same deck, I guess I don't have any use for that anymore. Um... But, uh, yeah, I just always wanted that game physically. Uh, I want, I launched it up, and it has the little kind of, um, I forget what you call it, but it's a little thing swinging back and forth, and it's just every, all the visuals of it are so cool. Uh, and I always wanted a copy of that. And so Super Famicom has basically been my uh, godsend at this point, collecting all the, the 16-bit games that I've always really wanted but I can't afford. So I also have, like, uh, Final Fantasy three on Super Famicom and stuff like that. Or Final Fantasy VI for those who uh, in the U.S. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's like a game. For example, if you want that in English, like you're gonna have to fork out over a hundred. And I'm still at the point where, as much as I love collecting like video games, I'm not forking out a hundred plus on a single game. Like it's just not happening. Um, which is why I don't have Symphony of the Night right now because it's like eighty plus right now, and I'm just not doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and I, so I've been playing a little bit of Chrono Trigger in Japanese, trying to like navigate that, which is not going well. But I'm trying, I'm working on it. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, I played Castlevania Judgment yesterday, maybe for like a half an hour or something like that. It's awful, like I, it's terrible. But it's it's really interesting to go back to. So I was playing it on my Wii U because I didn't want to have to like set up the whole composite converter to HDMI thing. I was like, you know what, just connect it with the HDMI. It's fine. Uh, but then I realized, I was like, oh, wait, you can play this with a GameCube, but then I'm going to have to go get the GameCube adapter out to hook up yeah. the thing to the Wii U because I forgot the Wii U does not have the GameCube slots like the Wii does. Um, so I tried to save time there, and I ended up burning myself, and I was like, you know what, I'll just I'll use the regular Wiimote. I, com- I completely forgot it's literally like 100% motion controls and that you literally need to do like a whip motion, and it's awful. And I have like carpal tunnel issues and my wrist was hurting. And I was like, this is the most geriatric experience I've ever had in my life. And I want this away from me right now. It just reminded me how much I hated 2008 Wii games. Like it was just awful. So the waggle. Yeah. And, but it is kind of funny seeing all these characters with their kind of like edgelord variants of themselves. So like Simon, the way he looks and, um, I was fighting like Saifa yesterday and she has a whole different look and it just makes this game literally just made me appreciate the 
pixel art versions of the games and also the netflix show so much how much they kind of fixed a lot of the castlevania lore uh so this this game definitely falls in kind of like a weird era of castlevania where it's like after a lot of the best games so it's after the gba games after the ds after the ps1 and genesis stuff um it's before the resurgence so it's before kind of like bloodstained and all that came out so it's like in a weird middle zone and it's also before lords of shadow too so it's like in a weird time where castlevania was yeah and think about it like 2008 castlevania was in a weird place like it was on the tail end of the ds games um and it was just it had little to no console presence and they didn't really know what to do with it obviously so they were just throw they, they almost kind of resident evil a resident evil itself a little bit where they're like well this is a pop in genre right let's give it a shot let's see what happens uh and so they're like oh people like fighting games here here's a fighting game and people like yeah. and it looks kind of like a visual k-band for you guys who know japanese music like it's just it looks weird um but it's it's an excellent game to have in the the collection it was only like 15 bucks too which is the main reason why i got it because i was like you know what this is a game that i've always had my eye on but Every time I bumped into it, the person was pricing it like stupidly, and yeah. I will buy a trash game if for collection purposes with the right price. Like I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a little bit of money for like a trash game, but I'm, there's no way I'm forking out 50, 60 bucks for a game that I know I will not be able to stomach past 30 minutes. It's not going to happen. But I'm really, I'm really excited <laughs> to have it. Um, and yeah, if you bump into it, definitely pick it up because I think you'll get a kick out of it. About as long as I did, but definitely it's a fun 30 minutes. Sometimes that's all you need. You're just like, you, you, you have it, it's a relic, you're like, this this was fun-ish. And then you never touch it again. Yeah, for sure. I have a whole bunch of like GameCube games like that are the same exact way that I just like fire up and I just like, it's nostalgic. Because I had this game when it came out. Um, I bought Castlevania Judgment when it came out on Wii. And I was like, what the hell? I didn't know it was... Because back then, um, some people knew, but a lot of people like the game news wasn't where it is now so i wasn't looking up reviews in middle school so um exactly i, I would just know of a title and i'm like okay this this oh sonic yeah i know sonic oh, oh final fantasy i know final fantasy i like these games and i'll pick it up and you you kind of just see where you're at and then if g4 didn't have a trailer on it then i wouldn't know what was going on with it uh and so i bought castlevania judgment not knowing that it's like a fighting game and not knowing it looked like this i was like what the hell is this uh and and i remember i think i returned it too at like really relatively young and i I ended up swapping it for like pokemon or something else at that time um so it's good to finally have in my collection but it's definitely going to go like right back into the vault and i'll revisit that in like 10 years or something like that when i forget how bad it is (laughs) good times all right so that's what we've been playing uh we can move on to stories we have a pretty fun show i think ahead of us um so the first one is by ethan gatch at kotaku uh we have a ubisoft buyout so private equity firms could be beginning to circle over ubisoft bloomberg reported friday talks are early but include interest from firms like blackstone inc kkr and co uh, even if it's not private equity, senior and former Ubisoft developers Kotaku has spoken with in recent months believe that the company will eventually sell to someone amid a flagging uh, stock price and ongoing production struggles. Bloomberg reports that Blackstone and KKR, the two biggest private equity firms in the world, have been studying the French business and have, been, and have preliminary takeover interest in Ubisoft, but the company has not yet entered into any sig- serious negotiations um, with potential qu- acquires 
According to Kotaku sources, Ubisoft has been working closely with several outside consultancy firms uh, in recent years to audit various parts of its businesses. While companies will do this to become more profitable and prepare for the future, sources Kotaku spoke with suggest that it's a sign that Ubisoft's trying to tidy up its books for a potential sale. When asked for comment, a uh, spokesperson for Ubisoft said, we do not comment on rumors and speculation, the classic phrase. Um, so yeah, it looks like there are rumors that Ubisoft is prepping for another buyout. So this seems like the season of the buyout, pretty much there's a ton of consolidation happening right now. And this even though there's been a lot of kind of major buyouts from the major kind of triple A's right now, this is actually not that new of a trend. It's been something happened in the past years because there's been a lot of kind of uh, Tencent investment and, and, and all these other kind of uh, forces in the background kind of buying things up. You remember THQ Nordic was consolidating a whole bunch yeah. of teams and stuff like that. So we're, it's kind of like the era of the great consolidation right now. And it seems like Ubisoft's going to get uh, bought out by a company. Um what what are your thoughts about this overall? Um, Ubisoft's a huge, huge company with a ton, ton of IP. So obviously it makes sense from kind of like a money standpoint. I'm just surprised with all that they have in the tank that they would even entertain a buyout unless I fundamentally misunderstood their uh, money situation, which maybe it seems like I had uh, with that kind of Assassin's Creed right there on the 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 precipice of the, this next one. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes me wonder... Maybe things are not going as smooth in the background as I thought. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, very similar. Where I'm like, you know, there's, there's all these, there's rumors constantly of who's buying who and all this nonsense. And I thought we were past. I mean, after Microsoft purchased Activision, I'm like, this has got to be it. Because I mean, who else is on the table besides these small companies? Um, I don't see Square being bought out, and we could all be wrong. I don't see Square being bought out, and Ubisoft's up there. Where like, I don't think I'm like they're too. Not that they're too big. I just don't think, though Ubisoft's been in a sort of, uh, last couple of years on a sort of downfall, yeah. they've had these little spikes. Uh, you know, Assassin's Creed's always done really well. Um, you know, some of their sports games are invested in. Uh, Rainbow's, yeah, Siege has been thing uh, uh, constant. So I just don't, I don't understand. I didn't, when I saw this starting to come up and, you know, we're from different sources, I'm like, are, are they really that bad? Um, or are they preparing just to start selling certain parts of it? Uh, because Ubisoft is so, like, Ubisoft, it's Ubisoft, but then you have Ubisoft Montreal, Ubisoft here, Ubisoft here. Like, are they going to start selling branches of the team off? Uh, and, and, it, and it's just weird because I feel like a big thing that makes Ubisoft games successful uh, is the fact that they're everywhere. You know, they're usually on all platforms. Um, so trying to imagine a world... And I know things change, especially with the whole Microsoft Activision where, let's say Microsoft, let's say it was Microsoft, you know, buys Ubisoft. Are they going to start making Assassin's Creed, uh, you know, exclusive? I don't, I think as good as those games can be and, and the fan base they have, um, I just don't think that's a game that's like going to really bring people to your console, uh, especially with what they're doing with a lot of their IPs now uh, that are going to be these weird live service you know monstrosities um so we, we we don't know i just i just didn't expect this i don't think i didn't expect it and i don't expect it i i don't think that i'm gonna wake up one morning and, and someone's gonna send me the picture of you know that little thing that microsoft does where it's like the black border with the <laughs> with them buying them out or yeah. sony coming out with a random you know post um but at the same time i just like you never know what's going on more behind the scenes you know ubisoft did have a lot of these issues with the 
all these accusations and, and all the legal issues they had. Uh, and that may have left them in a different state that they thought it would be. Um, they've, like we said, they've had a lot of, a lot, a lot of stinkers. Uh, um, really, really, besides Siege and uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I don't think anything else has really hit. I mean, they just did that other Rainbow Six game that was uh, pretty bad. Quarantine or something? Uh, oh, wait, no, they changed the name. Um, they changed it from, it was Quarantine. Ex- yeah. Extraction, Ex- Extinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that Game Pass game that was <laughs> terrible. I didn't like it. Uh, you know, I liked Riders Republic. Um, yeah, me I, too. I just don't. I, but it was, I just liked it for what it was. I, I didn't think it was fantastic. Yeah, that didn't uh, do nothing though on on release. <laughs> nothing. I, I I yeah. You know, two weeks after it was already on sale. Yeah. I've seen it go on sale constantly. Uh, that's a PS Plus uh, or Game Pass game any minute. Um, Should have been. It's just it's interesting, but it's like besides that, it's just been misses. You know, they they were showing off this iPhone game and and even last night they or was it yesterday they unveiled like here's some new game we're going to do um and everyone bombarded with it like this is a battle royale with NFTs yeah. and they had to like clear their they had a big thread on it and they're like no no it's not a battle royale uh it's just fun is what they were calling it and they're like no nope, there won't be any NFTs and I'm like you guys released a 2 minute trailer about NFTs to games that uh you know it's that actually, I think a week ago they announced that most of the games aren't getting support anymore. Um, so <laughs> you were going to implement, or, or or you will implement NFTs to games that you no longer support. So it's just it's just such a weird spot because Ubisoft has always been that weird company where that does successful, but with very sometimes you know they have this exclusive right over Tom Clancy and his and his works, and it's like you guys aren't even doing it anymore. You guys are doing nonsense under his name. So. It's shocking. I would rather Ubisoft sort of just whip it into shape and have a successful arc, uh, very much like we see Capcom doing and Konami maybe about to start doing. You know, because I just don't want everyone to be bought out. Uh, we don't want that here. I, I we're agnostic for all platforms. I don't care where you play games. Um, just give me the options. You're gonna tell me the next. You know, and it could be in a world that the next Assassin's Creed game or at the time maybe locked to a system now i gotta purchase it on that system it's just weird it's a weird timing and i just kind of hope this all sort of shifts back into place yeah all, all i know is that whether it is blackstone kkr or somebody else um whoever buys ubisoft is going to be kind of thrust into being a very big power player in the gaming sphere because you know like them or not they're generating a profound amount of money um, they got that weird, I don't know, that courts initiative too. I, I don't know what it, yep. what it is, but they're they're trying different ways to generate, you know, uh, consistent income with their games. They have some real high level IP, um, and I, I was kind of looking up like Blackstone. They they have a lot of different uh, things that they're invested themselves into in tech and, and stuff like that. So this is not a massive departure on either of their side about uh, a Ubisoft buy. I wonder. Um, with Ubisoft being what they are, you would imagine that this buyout would be one of the more expensive ones in gaming history. I would imagine, um, just because. But again, you know, my initial reaction was like, you know, Ubisoft. It's just they're they're so large and they've been doing their own thing for so long. Like, what, what, why do they need to be bought out? But then I thought about it and I was like, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily guessed Activision going through what they're going through, or that, certainly Bethesda would have been bought out as well. Uh, and so it just seems like one of those times right now where, you know, there are major big cash offers coming out right now to kind of help out these studios and people are folding to it pretty much. 
Um, and, you know, we're, it's different scenarios with different teams. Like, you know, there is the complexities of getting bought out by the PlayStations and the Xboxes, which is its own set of challenges and impact to the game mm-hmm. industry. And then there are also the situation where money is coming from different countries and does the governments of those countries impact how those game studios are able to operate or not, the speculation of that. Um, there's a lot of concern about a lot of uh, Chinese companies that are investing in different things so, uh, by certain people in America that cons- are concerned by that. Um, and so this this is like an interesting case right now where you're getting a lot of money being kind of inserted or traded around within the game industry and now coming from external as well. Um, and, and so in many ways, it's a great expansion of the game industry, but at the same time, it's a great consolidation as well and funneling into less and less hands. And so teams are kind of being united under single banners and, uh, you know, part of me watches all this and wonders if a crash is, is around the corner just by the desperation for monetization and, and money and the concerns I've heard from certain indie developers about them being able to afford making their things and the fact that, you know, are they, they're not getting the support. It, it just makes me wonder if there's this bubble that's going to pop. And at any point now uh, in the game industry because and again certainly we're not in the same place as we were like in 82 um with the game industry or 81 yeah. uh, it's certainly not there but it's just a weird place where when you see these massive expansions it almost reminds me of and i don't know if you remember but there was a point where there was a great expansion in music streaming platforms not too long mm-hmm. ago there's this huge blow up a whole bunch of money going into it there's and some of them have, are still around. Lots of them are still around. But, you know, you, of course, you had the Spotify's. You had the titles. Uh, Apple Music jumped in eventually. But there were all these, like, music exclusives and money coming from this. And it was a great expansion. And then it collapses eventually because there's only so much money that can be moved around. And um, if the returns don't match up with the investment, things get a little bit shaky. And so it makes me wonder... Um, with all this money kind of moving around and shuffling and all these companies buying out everything, what the long-term impact will be on the kind of uh, economic structure of the game industry. I don't think it's going to be a positive thing, but I'm not an economist, so I could be wrong about that. But I'm just watching all of this. I'm like, this seems bad. Like This seems yeah. like things are going to blow up relatively soon. And by, by soon, I don't mean like 2023. I just mean within the next five to ten years, like we can be in a precarious situation not that um games won't be made but eventually when you have game budgets ballooning and ballooning and ballooning and these studios getting investments and investment investment and the back end is going into three people's hands which is like Fortnite and like like it's like epic blizzard and activision collecting all the money and everybody else is just fighting for a piece of the pie i don't see how this is sustainable because despite not every company bringing in the same amount of money, their budgets ain't getting any smaller. So eventually, you're gonna hit a point where like it's not gonna it's gonna cost more than they generate to make some of these large scale games, and I don't see how that's a sustainable business model. But I suppose I got off track with that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it is true. It's just because you you know like you're saying you gotta watch where this money's coming from. Uh, not to get into a whole lot tangible, but. Look what's happened with SMK. Who owns that? Yeah, that's a whole nother thing you have to start worrying about. But we'll have to. Unfortunately, 
or I, I feel like at some point this information is going to start coming out on who's starting to bid. Um, and I just, I don't know, again, I, ho I hope it all kind of just falls through and, like, they don't have to. They don't have to go this route, but, I, again, I'm not on the on the financial side of it, so I don't know. Yeah, for sure. All I say is that Microsoft, maybe set this one off. Like, I think you've gotten enough recently, so. Their, their hands are full with. <laughs> you know they're entertaining <laughs> it, though. Uh, you have to assume. Yeah, you know you Phil's going crazy being like, we need Ubisoft. Absolutely. All right. Uh, getting to a, more, a slightly more positive uh, story. So uh, there may be a uh, Crazy Taxi and Jet Set Radio uh, big budget reboots. Uh, this comes from Matt Perslow at IGN. Uh, Sega is reportedly working on a big budget reboots for Crazy Taxi and Jet Set Radio. One of, you know, I... I Crazy Taxi, you love that franchise, and I love Jet Set Radio yeah, franchise. Actually. Both of us, yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we both really like both of those games. Yeah. Uh, with the intention of creating new installments that generate recurring revenue and online communities. According to the report from Bloomberg, the reports are part of Sega's Super Game Initiative, which aims to create games with large communities and the ability to generate a long tail of revenue. Basically, the Fortnite model of microtransaction-fueled content drops. Uh, Bloomberg sources claim that the Crazy Taxi reboot has been in development for over a year and that Sega aims to release it within the next two or three years. It and Jet Set Radio are allegedly two of four planned super games, with a third apparently being a first-person shooter that aims to generate $780 million over its <laughs> lifetime. Which is bold. Bold statements. Uh, so I took a, you know, when this story broke and, and there was, you know, I read through all the information, uh, you know, I actually just started replaying uh, the Jet Set Radio games, um, on Steam Deck, <laughs> but uh, uh, not to keep bringing it up, but and and it's funny when I read this and then I put it together with what these games are, it makes the most perfect sense yeah. um, for them to be sort of platforms. Uh, Jets already a little less, but uh, I, for Crazy Taxi, which is such a uh, smaller scale game, but in the sense that, and again, in a world that they go free to play and you got to buy. Like, I, I can see it, you know, like, let's say it's a free-to-play game, uh, it gives you two cities, but you gotta buy, you know, more cities, uh, different taxis, different characters, so you can start doing these weird crossovers with it, with a lot of things, um, you never know, so I, I can see it, Jetstar Radio, a little less because of how, it depends where, if they go for, like, what they did in Jetstar Radio Future, which is more about the skating and the spray painting, uh, or they go back to the original, uh, Jet Set, which is a lot more smaller stages, I don't see how that one works more of a live service the crazy taxi just made way more sense to me um i don't like it <laughs> uh, i'm in the minority that i'll pay 60 bucks 70 bucks for a full crazy taxi game I, I i know that's insane uh for some people to see that but i i would rather that than have any microtransactions in my game constantly nickel and dime i'm okay with sometimes like season passes or whatever but uh i i, I it worries me and i'm excited so it's like if this is the way we have to get them back you know, gameplay is king, so it's like, man, the games better be great to play. Um, not that they've been the most, you know, genre-bending, defining games. They're about that arcade fun, and that's what we really need. So, you're also really big fans of the game, so what do you what do you think of uh, these coming back with big-budget reboots? Yeah, I'm, I'm mixed on it. Well, I'm like you in the way that I'm not really into platform games at all. I prefer, I'll pay one and done, and then I would like you to leave me alone. That's what I love about Elden Ring. 
where it's like you got that complete experience and you paid the 60 70 bucks whatever and then they leave you alone and they update it and they fix the game and whatever but the the game's done and that's what it is and then you play it and you enjoy it and that's how i like it and i suppose in many ways that's kind of i I would say it's like boomer thinking but i suppose um (laughs) there are still examples of new brand new games like elden ring coming out that are still adopting this model so it's still possible um so yeah i would 100 percent pay for a full-priced crazy taxi game without all the microtransactions and all that, um, mm-hmm. so long as there's sufficient content in there. That's that's what ultimately matters to me is, like, is there content there? Um, and, I yeah, I don't like the platform model. The thing is, um, I'm conflicted because I totally can see how they can inundate crazy taxi with um, microtransactions, totally. Yep. Uh, I don't... What I don't see, and again, this is coming from somebody who, like, Crazy Taxi is probably, not even probably, like, most definitely in my top five games of all time. Like, I love that game. It's it's so fun. Um, It's kind of like a mindless, just sunny day fun. It always, to this day, makes me smile when you you pop it in there, and it's just great. But I don't, besides, like, the nostalgia thing, I don't see how this could be widely, like, mainstream accepted anymore, just because it seems like such a time and place thing. It's very 1998, 1999, Dreamcast, KFC, Pizza Hut, like, totally, dude, like, it's that kind of era. I, yeah. I don't get what that, like, how that could resonate with a modern crowd, really. Like, how do you bring the Rocket League and Fortnite kids into to play Crazy Taxi? I don't know, like like spray painting cars neon colors like i i don't i don't know what they would do um i don't see how they could do anything beyond a nostalgia play and try to monetize that but uh the problem is i feel like the the target people who would look at crazy taxi and be like totally are not the people who buy microtransactions and that's i guess my confusion about it is a lot of people um who would really be run to a crazy taxi game on the low end are my age uh, like our age like you know 28 29 on the low end um you might find like some 25 26ers but i think you're you're pushing it from there and the people like the microtransaction people like you you, you want those like either fresh disposable income so like those late teens or and and they shouldn't be doing this but let's not delude ourselves a lot of people pumping fortnite with money are like kids with their, yeah. with their parents cards um mm-hmm. and so I just don't see how this can be, how, how this can work. But again, they might have like, with the big budget might come like a major overhaul of what it, Crazy Taxi even means. Jet Set Radio is a little trickier because to me, Jet Set Radio is not only a really fun game in the same way as Crazy Taxi is, but it's got this kind of ambiance and, and ambient, uh, this this atmosphere and culture around it. It's the the urban culture it's the incorporation of hip-hop and black culture into it um that makes it very different it's kind of like this again shibuya meets um rap culture thing that is just so unique um and i would hate to see that kind of diluted down into some kind of microtransaction laden thing because Mm -hmm. it's just it's a whole different thing like crazy taxi is like you being a taxi person um and delivering people to a place they want to go so to be honest, as much as I love Crazy Taxi, I'm not offended by the idea of them riddling it with microtransactions because like, it's not like there was anything deeper at work there anyways, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But like Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future, I think there's something beautiful there that one thing, 
people don't talk about how much it's inspired. Like, I don't think you have games like Splatoon without Jet Set Radio. Um, That art style and and that kind of street meets cartoon neon vibe is just so unique and fun. Um, And they have such an interesting cast of characters and and an incredible soundtrack. And I would just hate to see... I, I totally feel like that they're going to miss the point of it. I, I, do, I, I don't think um, a modern Sega necessarily understands why Jet Set Radio is so loved. Um, besides the point like, oh, we can make you guys roller skate in like a new city. How about that? And it's like, no, there's more at play here. Mm-hmm. Like the, the graffiti, the dancing, the breakdancing, the, the skates, the, the fashion. Like how much it's impacted kind of the idea of like Y2K fashion. Um, it, like the mm-hmm. Jet Set Radio is impact is insane and people don't talk about it as much as they should um and and so i just don't know what that looks like with like millions of dollars pumped into it but i don't necessarily think it's gonna be good because i don't think that's what the franchises need i don't think necessarily crazy taxi and just a radio need um massive budgets i think what they did was perfect and in many ways all they need is a fresh coat of paint in my opinion call me old sorry um, but in my opinion, I think I, I, I just bought Jet Set Radio like two, three weeks ago, um, on the Xbox and I was just playing it and all, I mean, it's perfect. Like it's so good. It still plays really well. Maybe they can, they can maybe run it in a little, a new engine, maybe make it run a little smoother, 60 frames per second, better visuals. But other than that, the formula that they set up, that kind of gameplay loop, is perfect as is. And I don't think that needs to be manipulated much at all. And I know they want to find ways to monetize it. I think these are kind of goofy franchises to go to to try to do that, to be honest with you. Um, And it seems like very much a, like, everybody tried to do the Battle Royale thing. Everybody tries to do the platform thing. It's really hard to kind of break into there and, and get your stake in there. So Sega's leveraging the one thing I think they have over a lot of studios, which is the IP. Sega's IP game is ridiculous. Um, say what they want about, say what you want about the game quality and all that, but their IPs are just ridiculous. Um, yeah. And so uh, that, that, they're obviously leveraging what and then if you if you think like sonic's gonna come out unscathed just wait just wait just watch he's getting he's gonna get his too uh most definitely because if they're tapping crazy taxi and jet set then you know sonic's been they probably already laid out exactly what they're gonna do with him and now they're just trying to brainstorm a lot about what to do with these two guys but uh i'm most definitely sure that he's gonna be in there involved somehow too as well which is I don't think this is going to go well ultimately for many reasons. I think it's because these are the wrong choice IP because it's Sega. Another thing, I love Sega, but Mm -hmm. their business game has never been great. Yeah, they're not. Yep, yep, I agree. It's just, they've just, they've been kind of on a weird spiral. I mean, since the Genesis, really, um, of just series of just strange decisions from the Saturn to the Dreamcast to basically completely giving up and giving it on into the GameCube to it's just their choices with Sonic after the fact that dor- the fact that they let so many of their IPs just die and do nothing with them. Um, yeah. It's just they they have a terrible track record of like business decisions. So which the, which I think is the main reason why I have little to no faith in their ability to make this work. If that makes any sense. No, absolutely, and that's true. 
again, they're gonna. I just look what they're doing with the Sonic Origins collections release. There's that weird chart. Yeah, with um, all the different versions. And, you, and remember, and, that's your, and one of the options is basically to buy moving icons on your menu. It, it was some weird nonsense like that. And so you can only imagine when they're going full fledged. Uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be quite scary. And uh, vote with your wallets, people, because that's where it's gonna come down to. Yeah, I think all the companies have their quirks of what they're good at and what they're not good at. And just, I think it's, no one could argue that Sega's business acumen is just questionable, to say the least. I mean, at one point, they were Nintendo's number one competitor. And now they're literally roped into Nintendo's online service. So Mm -hmm. that tells you kind of exactly, like, uh, imagine that. Like, imagine, you know, PlayStation Now, and it was just inundated with Xbox games. You'd be like, what is going on (laughs) with Microsoft? Um, Yeah, absolutely. And so I think a lot of people, because of age reasons, don't realize how insane it is to see Sega in the place that they're in right now, considering where they were once upon a time. Um, I mean, that war with Nintendo was serious, like, they were one and yeah. two once upon a time. Like even at that time, like PlayStation wasn't really. So they were kind of quietly in the background, cementing themselves, but they hadn't really done it yet. Um, and, and Microsoft had quite a while before they jumped in. Um, and so Sega was like that. That those guys, and just to see them in this place now, where they're just like, "Don't worry, guys, we got we got super games on the way." It's like, oh, jeez, yeah, man. Super- and it's like. Super games. One of the most successful things they've been tied to is not even them, but it's a movie about one of their characters, and it's like, it's just yeah, like, geez, guys, it's like when, what, and and it's not that like Sega hasn't had hits on their hands. It's just like, like for example, when I hear big budget games that you want to monetize, the fact that they haven't said Fantasy Star is like mind blowing yeah. to me. Like Fantasy Star, like the. the in this age of Final Fantasy fourteen, you haven't thrown Fantasy Star into it? Like, if you want to monetize something, that makes the most sense to me. I mean, I trip in, but I guess not. No, yeah, yeah. That, that's a, that, that is, a, is a very strange one to me. Yeah, they have Online 2, New Genesis that came out not too long ago. It's like a massive yep. thing in, our, in, in Japan. And the fact that they're not incorporating that into this, like, I just think is kind of silly. If I was them, just I'm giving Sega some free game here. Study what they're doing with platforms. Study what they're doing with the metaverse. Study what Final Fantasy has done with 14. Unite all that cancer together and put it to, and, and release a game. If you want to make money, if that's all you care about and you don't care about the creative, go ahead and do that, and I guarantee you, you'll you'll be printing money with it. But yep. Ah, <laughs> oh, Sega. All right, next one. Another very contentious story in the game industry right mm-hmm. now. Uh, ads in video games. Um, and this is by Matt Wales over there at Eurogamer. So following reports earlier this week that Microsoft is considering introducing ads to free-to-play games on Xbox, a new report has surfaced claiming Sony has been working on its own plan to do the same with PlayStation games. As reported by Business Insider, uh, the company is currently investigating ways to encourage developers to continue making free-to-play games by providing new ways to monetize them. At present, PlayStation's ad inventory is to be limited to in-menu ads, which can be used by publishers and developers to do things like promote their own games in the PlayStation Store and ads served via streaming video on certain apps. However, Sony is currently 
said to be working with ad tech partners to create new advertising opportunities for free-to-play developers that can be directly served in-game with the goal to make them feel like a natural part of the experience, such as via um, such as via digital billboards and sports titles. The initiative, which Sony be- reportedly began considering 18 months ago, and which it's considering is looking to roll out by the end of the year, may also include options for developers to reward players uh, by watching ads and promotion with in-game items such as avatar skins. Business Insider reports uh, Sony is currently being strict on vetting ad tech companies for its private marketplace and ruling out any collecting personal information such as emails and names, but questions remain as how it's can, uh, how it may choose to take a cut of revenue earned through its in-game advertising. One source claims the company is considering selling data on consumer activity on PlayStation to developers and publishers. So all in all, to summarize this, this is basically the, fur- the further phone gamifying of the, <laughs> the console game industry, basically. Um, mm-hmm. It was, and, and I have to quote Colin here from um, Sacred Symbols, it's kind of like the race to the bottom type thing. Um, and in many ways, you know, pushing for free to play, it was inevitable that they were going to try to add ads to it. Um, and I think this is, it's an inevitability, but it's almost like a disappointed, but not surprised type of situation where it's like this, Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised by this whatsoever. To be honest, I'm surprised it took so long for them to really push for at least internal ads to be added to their game. Um, but at the same time, I think this is awful overall because I feel like the the constant drive to extract more and more and more and more money and resources and data out of your um, out of your customer base is just like it's just a nasty game. And at this point, you know, it, when I hear about like them inserting ads into different things, it just reminds me a little bit of that one episode of Black Mirror where like he's wa- he's forced to watch ads, and if he looks away, they're monitoring that. And it's like I would not be surprised yeah. uh, if they're you know like thirty years from now, if you're trying to play like Uncharted thirty seven, and an ad pops up online for freaking AOL, and you look away from the screen, and it pauses your game. It's like oh, gotta watch your ad. You gotta watch your Amazon and Google ads. Um, mm-hmm. It, right now, I think to con people, they're like, oh, you know, it's all internal. So, like, Sony's going to be advertising their own games, and, and Microsoft will be uh, marketing their own games. So, you'll be playing Halo, and I, I suppose maybe they'll put a little Forza in there or something like that. Um, but overall, I, I feel like they have enough, enough means to extract profit from people that I don't feel like another avenue is necessary um and and i know it's it's all profit based so as a corporation their primary objective is to extract profit and so if they find another means in which to do that they're going to do that but as a consumer i'm i'm not going to be in favor of it but i'm not a stakeholder in their company so i don't need to be uh what is your feelings on this yeah very similar to you um i i hate everything about what this sounds but i get it you know in a world that people don't want to pay for their games and they want free to play and all this i i know you know and they're gonna do it sneaky you know it's gonna start off small in probably the sports games and the show you know the billboard and stuff Uh, i just don't get like you know one day it's gonna be a billboard for uh rockstar energy drink and then the next day it's gonna be a billboard for something else because contracts end and, and, and different things like that and you buy ad space for a certain period of time i i spent a lot of time on a highway so i see my i see the billboards change constantly yeah 
so and I and I it's not jarring because I I get it. It's gonna be a little bit jarring in your game. It was, um, you know. Also, actually, this was brought up on Sacred Symbol, so you know, shout out to them. Uh, look at what happened with Death Stranding on PS4. You were drinking Monster Energy drinks, yeah. like Monster. Yeah. They're were, they were Monster. It's removed on the PS5. It's it's a generic uh, energy drink oh. on PS5. So um, on that PS5 updated version, so that had to be removed. I don't know if it was because time ran out, contract ran out, whatever it was, it was removed. So and obviously again in death training it wasn't the biggest deal uh but these are just like the small little things that you have to start seeing is going to lead into this stuff um you know that whole like i i just i spiraled out when i heard this and i was like this is the dumb man. um you know but it it's not that it's in place already but it's like i've seen these little things and i hate the minor parts of it you know i thought it was dumb for the monster energy you're throwing to be in the game and then to be removed i thought it was stupid uh, I think about uh, Street Fighter Five did this uh, infamously that in the loading screens, it would show you it would be an ad for the DLC for the game, um, or it would be yeah. an ad to go watch the Capcom Cup, and it made sense because like this is an ad for the game you're playing. But even if you purchase, let's say that the, that season pass for the outfits, it would still show you the ad. <laughs> so, so it's so it's like oh here's an ad for Netflix. Oh no, I've been a Netflix subscriber for years. Yeah, it's okay. You can still watch this ad. Still look Netflix. at the ad. Yeah. You, you know, so when I see these things and I hear all these, you know, we've heard rumors for different things. Like uh, a big one for me, and I don't know why it stuck to me when I read this uh, story. Uh, I read over our, our story last night. And in my head, some reason, Twisted Metal, you know, is apparently being rebooted. And there's going to be a new Twisted Metal game. And I just know it's going to be constantly filled with ads. I, I don't know why it's in my head. I don't know if it's going to be the radio station on your car is going to have an ad playing or the billboards uh, specifically are going to be changing uh, loading screens or like decals on your car. It's just going to be ad, ad. And, and, and certain games make sense, you know, uh, in Forza, in Dirt, where you customize your car and you have, you know, you can put 3M stickers on it. It makes sense. Or Firestone. That makes sense in that specific world. Um, but to, to, let's say, get a Firestone ad in Twisted Metal, which is, you know, there's a dude whose literally arms are chained into giant tires <laughs> yeah. and twisted metal, and you're worried about what brand the rubber is. It, that's where I just feel like it will get to. I think that's like the worst case scenario. Best case scenario, it's in there, you know. But again, they're not the only ones to do this. Go pause. Go push. Go go pause your Assassin's Creed. What shows up in the corner of your pause menu? That little thing that shows you all the DLC yeah, coming DLCs, out, yeah. or exactly, or. Like when Watch Dogs Two was announced, and if you launched Watch Dogs One, there was an ad for Watch Dogs Two in your, you know, and it's just like it's been around and it's been at the cusp of all right, it's kind of there, but we can ignore it. Uh, it quickly adds up, and, and again, it makes sense when you launch the Master Chief Collection and it shows you that you know Infinite was about to come out. That's you know fine at the same time, not really. If I'm playing Master Chief Collection, I'm well aware of Halo Infinite's release. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me in certain aspects, but at the same time, I see what they see. They're like, "Oh, someone's gonna see this and be like, look, a new Halo." And they might, lo- and then you click the ad. It brings you to the Microsoft Store, and that's where they want. That's what they want. They want you to click that ad, or, or especially, you know, younger people click the ad, and they're just pushing it to get to their game. You know, pushing. They're buying it, and they just bought uh, a year's worth of uh, ExpressVPN. They have no <laughs> idea what they're doing. You know, that's those are where we have to worry about, and that's what I want to avoid. I don't care really if MLB the show shows me the next year's MLB the show. 
it is what it is. I'm not going to play MLB the show anyway. Uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't need, you know, I'm playing Last of Us 4, about to kill somebody, and it like, oh, this knife was brought to you by, and I know it's not going to be as intrusive <laughs> as that, but but it's going to be the focus on it. You know, there's gonna they're going to find sneaky ways to do it where you got to spend 20 minutes in a in, in a in a Cabela's because you got to look for a specific knife, and then you can continue with your game. Like, they're going to have sneaky ways to do it. Um, and that's what people have to watch out for and avoid it. There's there's immersion and there's just just plain, uh, I can't think of the word, just product placement. There's just plain product placement. And and that's there's going to be a fine line and they're going to cross it fairly quickly. And that's why I'm highly against it. Yeah, and, and to kind of expand on something you had kind of mentioned, um, it's the kind of idea of, it, it's worth consideration of like ads versus product placement or ads versus sponsorships. Sponsorships in video games is not even remotely new. Uh, it's funny that we mentioned it earlier, Crazy Taxi, I mean, KFC, yeah. all in it. Um, so it, it, sponsorships have been around. I mean, you, you can find Pepsi back in the, the, the 80, late 80s, early 90s, uh, having, I mean, entire video games structured around a character for a particular product. So obviously, like, um, sponsorships and product placement have existed in video games for a long time. It, it the 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 big thing is in game versus not in game is also an important differentiator here for these mm-hmm. ads um, and and apologies if this sounds kind of like on the more pretentious side but I think there really is a sanctity to the in game experience versus what happens when you're at the menus the pause screen and and a lot of it has to do with the immersion but it's also this experience there it's like I'm I'm in this story, I'm experiencing this story, I'm playing this game through this character, engaging in this world that you've created for me and to kind of insert your kind of like uh, capitalistic nonsense into it, um, I think is is a step too far. And I think that's ultimately what we're talking about today. I can, I can stomach the kind of bottom of the menu at the, the front screen or the pause screen mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. You, you lose me when you start talking about the in-game billboards and the little product. I thought the monster thing in, in Death Stranding... The thing is, that that also borderlined on parody for me. So I was able to, yeah. like... Like, it was the ridiculousness of it made it, like, okay. Like, it just... It came off more as weird and less of them trying to sell monster. It was just so obvious there that it was almost funny like kojima being kojima yeah like because i know him and just seeing a literal stack of monster energy on a table and it's like oh this and you see him drinking like it's almost like them parodying product placement that it almost made it kind of funny so that's what's one thing um but i think it's important to note that and and i want to go back to the story when they talk about the idea of like creating a system in which developers can incentivize their players by like watching ads um, and that sounds a hundred percent like if you play these phone games, you watch a 30 second ad and you'll get this boost or something or an item or whatever, or these coins or whatever. And what happens immediately when that system exists? Well, it's cool when you, oh, don't worry. It's not mandatory. We just, um, you could watch the ad and then get this extra thing. Well, the problem is they immediately start structuring the game in a way that, yeah, you don't need to watch the ads, but you're at a significant disadvantage if you don't. Um, yep. 
And so it fundamentally changes the way the games are constructed. It's that race to the bottom thing. Again, all these, the free-to-play mechanics, the ad-based systems, these kind of like time-based ads. If you watch this, you get a 2x boost on your XP generation, blah, 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 blah. That changed the way they developed the games to this point where a lot of these phone games are completely unplayable unless you put an extreme amount of time or money into the game. And they're pushing for you to do the money part. And this is going to have a material impact on the way people develop games. You know, everybody always talks about, the like, does Game Pass have a negative impact on the way games are being developed? Because they know they won't be able to make the money up front as much because Microsoft's going to give them that one-time payment. They're on the, the service. And then from there, it's kind of on them to make the money. So that, in some people's view warps the way that games are developed from that point onwards especially from like the microsoft first party where they feel like you know they wouldn't make games a certain way if um they were able to charge the normal 60 70 bucks that sony is that's the theory the idea um and i would say this is an even more drastic version of that where it's like not only imagine if you're free to play but if you have like time-based ads and literally the phone model What's to stop you from making a phone game on a PS5? Like, straight up. like, um, And yeah, it's going to have a bigger budget and nice sprites and characters and and whatever, 3D models and 3D open worlds. But if you can monetize it in the same way, you're immediately not going for a player base anymore. You're going for what the phone games are going after, which is whales. Mm -hmm. The people, that that kind of 1% to 5% who flood your game with extreme amounts of money. That's what the phone games are all about. You, people wonder, it's Absolutely. like, who, who's yeah. paying for all this? Who's buying all this? And it, it's all about the whales. Well, the more that they introduce the phone mechanisms, the more the target will change, whether they expect that or not. They're immediately going to mm-hmm. go because the average player is not going to be able to be monetized in this way. It's the whales that will be able to be monetized in this way. Um, and so that's the problem is that like, this is how you kill an art form basically is just inundate it with different ways when it's no longer about creating an amazing experience. And it's only about how you can monetize said experience. You're going to run into issues. And what I understand there's the, this is the video game business. First and foremost, I understand that, but I think there is a certain threshold that you pass that when your profit motive passes the creative, the games will suffer for real and, and in a real way and very quickly. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing this. I don't think you're going to see this from everybody because I think there are certain companies who have demonstrated that they're above the most base instincts to extract funds at all costs. Um, I think Sony's first party, for the most part, Xbox's first party, and certainly Nintendo's first party, have shown a penchant to resist that urge. They probably have enough money and they don't need to play that game. But if you don't think that this is going to completely tank the Ubisofts, the EAs, and the the Activisions, oh, just watch. Just watch. Their games are going to be borderline unplayable in 10, 15 years because of this kind of stuff. No, yeah, absolutely. So it's something we have to keep a keen eye on. For sure. And, and push back uh, as much as we can when we can. Just be prepared for <clears throat> whoever's listening. Um, be prepared for some of your favorite franchises to go this way and to have to let go of some of them. Mm-hmm. If you really want to stand against things that you think are just generally unfavorable to the consumer, be prepared because some of our favorite franchises are going to get kicked, uh, you know, caught up in this. I don't think like Last of Us is necessarily. I don't think necessarily yeah. the next Mario game or Zelda is. 
but there we're going to start seeing this bleed into some of those smaller type games those newer ips that are a little bit more risky just watch um it, it's going to get pretty it's going to get worse before it gets better no yeah absolutely it absolutely is an unfortunate thing that again gonna it's gonna be interesting watching this watching it roll out and then have the fallout that the community will hopefully have no it's gonna be bad <laughs> if they thought microtransactions was went over bad just yeah. wait till this goes yeah 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 um so uh, our last story which is um a mixed one it is it's something all right uh from adam bankhurst at ign uh kingdom hearts 4 has been announced uh so uh, Kingdom Hearts 4 and Kingdom Hearts Missing Link, which was a new mobile for iOS and Android game, were officially announced at the series' 20th anniversary event. While no platforms or release date windows for Kingdom Hearts 4 was revealed, we do get a glimpse of Sora in the new world of Quadridum. Uh, a quick look at gameplay and an ending tease with uh, complete with and an ending tease complete with Donald and Goofy. Uh, the footage we were given shows an art an art style that very much resembles the previous games, but it has much a more realistic look this time around. Square Enix has also confirmed that the game is in early development. Um, what an out-of-nowhere announcement. Uh, I knew the Kingdom Hearts 20th anniversary little event was going on. Um, I didn't watch it live because it would have been like 3 a.m. our time or something like that. The way it dinged was super weird. Um, so I woke up to this trailer uh, and, uh, and seeing it trending and let me tell you, I thought this just was... When I saw the first screenshots, I'm like, this is just a uh, Final Fantasy XV mod. But no, it's it's real. Kingdom Hearts 4, uh, on the Tales of Kingdom Hearts 3, which was uh, a mixed bag of good and bad. Um, and it's here. They're they're really pushing for it. I, I'm surprised and not surprised that it's so early that they're showing us this footage. I do hope I don't get four or five years of trailers <laughs> before we can get Kingdom Hearts 4. But it's here with a, a weird art style. I'll give it to it. It I, I I like it, and at the same time, it's gonna be jarring as soon as you put Sora in between Donald and Goofy. Uh, I don't know if the art style will always look like this. I don't know if it's just because of the world he's in. Um, mechanics. Uh, obviously, we see a lot of stuff back from the dead from the uh, Nomura's canceled Kingdom Hearts Versus Thirteen. Uh, though some of those elements made it into Final Fantasy Fifteen. We see him strongly even more present in here. Uh, we see Sora with not big shoes. We see Sora taller, uh, uh, a more Final Fantasy-esque style. And we see a Heartless in the trailer. And let me tell you, I've never seen Kingdom Hearts not look like Kingdom Hearts <laughs> until I saw this. But part of me, this being its sort of soft reboot, end of a, you know, they try to tie up as much as they could in Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, whether they did it successfully or not. Um, this is a new start in a sense, which is why I'm very surprised it's called Kingdom Hearts 4. Um, but it's here, whether we want it or not. It's more Kingdom Hearts. So, so what do you, how do you, how are you feeling about this? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was really surprised on, at the reveal. Um, I didn't stay up for the 20th anniversary event. I 100% expected them to acknowledge Kingdom Hearts 4's existence and maybe give us like a little title card, you know, where it says Kingdom Hearts 4. Uh, I expected that. It's about that time they had completely finished the Kingdom Hearts 3 DLC rollout. And so I expected them to be like, you know, we have now started development on Kingdom Hearts 4. I expected that. For them to have a visual ready, that actually really, really surprised me. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily indicate how far along the game is. But it just surprised me that they have anything to show currently. So good for them, I guess, on that regard. Um, 
And overall, yeah, I'm, I'm conflicted about it. Like part, part of me was watching it. I'm like, you know, this is almost like the mature next step um, that I've always wanted out of Kingdom Hearts. Um, I, and admittedly, I didn't like Kingdom Hearts 3 much at all. Um, and, and a lot of what I didn't like about it was as I found, and maybe I'm just getting older, but I just found a lot of the things they wanted me to do in the Disney world to be just profoundly annoying. And I found the story largely incomprehensible, even by Kingdom Hearts standards. Um, and so I, I was just turned off of it overall, but I did watch the entire story being played so I can kind of follow the general story. So I do... I was watching the trailer, and I do 100% understand what's going on here uh, and, and what happens yep. at the end of 3. I have seen the ending of 3. So I, I get what's going on here. I like overall what the, the choices that they've chose to go on to. It's a more mature look for Kingdom Hearts. It's a more mature look for Sora. Um, but, yeah, I, there still is this detachment for me. It's just seeing this Jurassic arc change. It, it does feel like a different thing. Like, I know it's Kingdom Hearts. I see Sora. I see Donald and Goofy. I see him moving around in the Keyblades. I see all that, but my head is still not connecting it to Kingdom yeah. Hearts because it just look. Yeah. It's just such a major departure. Um, but you would imagine inevitably there's going to be more of that Disney presence when the game's actually out, uh, and that will. T- it's hard not to tie it in at that point. Once that when I see Pete moving around, it's it's kind of inevitably yeah. going to be, and then maybe a Maleficent or something like that. It's going to tie it in a lot more. Um, for me, I'm really curious to see what they choose to do with this. Uh, this is the start of a new saga, so I wonder if there are going to be um, any kind of gameplay implications to that. Uh, are they going to change the way they kind of approach different things? Also, and not to get into super spoiler territory, but they uh, just like Kingdom Hearts has played around with the idea of different worlds um, and different realms of existence, like data and, and dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're playing around with the idea of like almost like fictionalized universes within Kingdom Hearts. And for people who are not Kingdom Hearts fans, I know this sounds like crazy confusing, but Steve, I think you know what I'm talking about here. Um, yeah. where they're playing around with this a separate realm of existence, even by Kingdom Hearts standards, that maybe Sora might be inhabiting now. And I wonder what the implications are for that in terms of the worlds he's going to explore at this point. Because, again, he's in a different almost realm of existence. So him jumping back into Agrabah and um, the Colosseum doesn't necessarily make the most sense. So what are the worlds that are they going to pick from at this point? You know, obviously, the the one that everybody is, like, pushing towards, world ends with you. Yes, obviously. Um, but there are other worlds that I'm curious to see if this expands into different um square principles so my always thing was i always was hoping that there would be a transition at some point where they do the disney thing for a while and they always maybe have that as a backdrop but eventually they explore more the final fantasy portion so Mm -hmm. how cool would it be that instead of him constantly going to like the tangled universe what if he went to midgar as like a world or um and and uh, apologies i don't remember the name but that weird water play xanarkin from um final fantasy 10 or or uh, i think that would be really cool as well or if if they played around with the art style and put him into like an octopath traveler but it's still kingdom hearts it's just with that art style change because you know i'm thinking about like in kingdom hearts 2 where they they have the kind of like mickey look you remember when he goes like steamboat willie and they completely change the art style i'm like how cool would that be with like the the octopath traveler 
side. And again, these are all square properties, so it's well within the rights to play around with. Um, or like Chrono Trigger and go into the future or whatever. Like these are the, the places that I'm like, it would. Be, this is the perfect opportunity for the, them to do it. I don't think they're going to, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but uh, I think with them kind of fundamentally changing the, the what it means to be uh, moving to a different world and kind of having that distance between what Sora is going through and what the rest of the cast on Destiny Island is um, and their kind of inaccessibility to them. Um, I think is a really interesting mechanic that they can play around with narratively that kind of opens up the different worlds that they can explore at this point, uh, especially with them having, I, I forget how to pronounce her name exactly, but like Streletsi or whatever, um, th yeah. that they're, they're okay, really yeah. diving into that kind of anime portion of Kingdom Hearts that was always there. Um, and it makes me want them to go like kind of full... Let's let's do the Final Fantasy thing. Let's do the high end square thing. We did the Disney thing for all these games. It could still be there. Obviously, Donald Goofy is going to still be there. But let's have Sora kind of explore different types of world as well. Um, if you play Kingdom Hearts three, uh, that main character that he meets at, towards the end there that I won't go into because it's super spoiler territory uh, exists within a video game that is not thematically like the Disney games whatsoever. Uh, it's it's kind of like an action, almost like a platinum looking game. Um, mm -hmm. And so that makes me wonder, like, you know, what the overall aesthetic of this game is going to be uh, and, and how do they fit that in? Because, again, this is Kingdom Hearts 4, so they, they didn't give it a different tagline and completely separate it. This, yeah. is, a, this is in line with 1, 2, and 3 um, in terms of at least being a numbered entry. So it just makes me wonder how, how much are they going to play around with this? Uh, and kind of the last thing I saw was, obviously, with them kind of showing this cutscene, the natural next step of people is speculation about when this is going to come out and i immediately saw people making the exact same mistake again where it's like oh man do you think this is like 2023 2024 i'm like please guys don't start this again like like now do i think it's going to be the kingdom hearts 2 to 3 gap hell no there's no way no, no, no way don't think that, so. that was an abnormal situation that was no more getting taught he was caught up in a lot of things there was a million spin-offs lots of things they wanted to cover narratively that was a whole different ball mm -hmm. game this one is a direct sequel to three. Um, so I don't see them doing a ton of spinoffs in between, not including Missing Link, which is obviously, it's a phone game. It's, it's a whole different ballgame there. Um, but I think this is years off. I just don't think this is 10 years off, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if I need to throw a date on it, I don't think we see the, I think this is like 2025, 2026. Like this is like, Elder Scrolls territory. Like, I think it's years off. It's probably going to be this generation. Tail end of it, but maybe, maybe. But, again, it is Square. It is Nomura. I could also totally see if this is, like, a PS6 game. Like, that, like, yeah. that it maybe is intended to be on the tail end of PS5, but doesn't make it in time. We've, we've totally seen that happen before, too. Um, where games just sometimes don't make it, and so have to get booted to the next generation. Um... So, yeah, my guess is this is probably currently intended to be a tail-end PS5 game, but could totally end up on PS6. What is it, What are you thinking? Uh, yeah, the, I'm thinking it, at the earliest, we're thinking that fall-winter of uh, 2025. Yeah. If not, I want to say Kingdom Hearts came out in January of whatever year it came out, 2018, 2019, so maybe January 2026. But, uh, yeah, I also kind of believe it will also be that cross a cross-gen game. Um, from that, uh, just from from you know speculating around that time for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't see it ever coming out anywhere earlier 
and then fall 2025. You guys are dreaming. You guys are, yeah. <laughs> you guys are. Well, anyone out there who tells me otherwise is wild and doesn't understand how this this works. I can totally see them doing kind of like, a, and and I know I said that you know three is a, three four is a direct sequel to three, so I don't see them taking too many like left turns. I didn't mean that. I think that the Kingdom Hearts franchise is going to be dormant until four comes out, um, because. I was just saying, I don't think we're going to necessarily get like a birth by sleep and a 358 in between. But I could totally see them doing something more in line with like a melody of memory type thing, like small yeah. kind of odds and something on Switch or something real quick, a rhythm game. Or, uh, I I think they'll play around with genres and you might get something a little, some smaller things like that. Um, I just don't mm-hmm. see them doing major like left narrative turns at this point. Um at this time because again kingdom hearts is in a different place now than it was once upon a time where they were just jumping the different platforms all the time and you had something on psp and something on ds and something mm-hmm. on it's just it's not doing that anymore and i don't see them necessarily going back to that especially with phones being their major focus since that kind of like kingdom hearts key era onwards uh it seems that they want to do a lot of the supplementary storytelling uh in the handheld space on phones these days Especially since that's so kind of like Japan dominated and focused towards, um, so I could t- I could totally see them. And Missing Link actually does seem kind of like the phone Kingdom Hearts games that people have wanted for a while, where you actually have to some degree free movement and mm-hmm. the some degree of kind of like moving around a world like a regular Kingdom Hearts game as opposed to kind of like the flat two D kind of thing they were doing with the key games. Um, and so yeah. I think I could totally see them putting also a lot of resources into Missing Link and stuff like that. Um, to kind of expand the stories as a, I, I think the days of kind of having a dedicated, like like when they did like a DS game that's like a super important handheld Kingdom Hearts game front to back, and it didn't get ported until way later. I, I think those days are for the most part over, uh, and I don't think they're going to be diverting too much from the major platforms, uh, with exception for doing something small like Melody and Memory, which again was not a Switch exclusive. It just was also on Switch. So, correct. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, I have it on PS4. Um, sadly, <laughs> yeah, they just leave so much open to speculation. Yeah. You know, I saw so many breakdowns of people going screen by screen of Kingdom Hearts Four. There's Star Wars. Some people think they, they see the foot of the AT yeah. or the at or however. You God, I hope and not. You know what? And I see it, and I'm like, it kind of does. I don't want kinda, them to be on. I don't kinda, want Sora on Yavin Four. I don't want that. I was, I was like, that kind of does look like a. And ATAT's foot, and I'm glad to be wrong. And that's just some metal piece. Uh, I, I, just this as you guys realize now, uh, Disney is not just Disney. You know, Disney yeah. does own Marvel, and and if you're gonna pull from Marvel, I say pull from like wildly obscure ones that don't. You know, I don't want him to stand with the Avengers or whatever, <laughs> or whatever have you be. Uh, I don't want that. It's got to be Doctor Strange. Some, yeah, we'll. Will will it leak into here somehow? Maybe through summons and something like that that keeps it at bay. Uh, but Thanos just, bo- don't, boss battle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, there's just so much that's open, you know, to it. And again, that's its own discussion. You know, where where is Quadratum truly uh, comparing to where Sora was left? Yeah. Um, and and it's weird because you know they redid the ending to Kingdom Hearts three. Uh, if you beat Kingdom Hearts three, the game ended one way, and then if you played the remind dlc it changes the ending yeah. to major again i'm not i'm not spoiling but things happen to one person and then in, in the redo of the ending it happens 
<laughs> to someone else completely. Uh, so it, it, I, I'm not sure why, but it, 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 that was such a weird thing to hide the true ending behind a paywall. Um, it's just it's it's awkward. So I just don't know where this game even plans on going, and it's something that we have to. Uh, unfortunately, we're gonna be waiting years before, and uh, <laughs> we'll have to see then. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like I hate myself for how they are able to draw me back in every time. And to be honest, like yeah, I'm definitely I've been not not turned off, but I it's been a long time since I've like super hyper loved the Kingdom Hearts game front to back, like since my childhood. Um I've always been more like a birth by sleep guy. I really like two point eight, for example, that little short thing with Aqua uh, that they did. I like that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, every time there's like Kingdom Hearts, like I always have to look and I hate, I wish I could just be like, okay, you know what? I had enough. Um, I'm happy with the amount of games that we got. If I want to play it, I'll play the old ones and I'll just move on with my life. I can't though. I'm like my elder millennial blood is like tied into this forever now. And, mm. and so it's just like, I cannot, I cannot give up. I'm so long as Sora is still exploring, I must know his story. It's like, I, I swear, this is like my, my second Naruto. It's the same deal where it's like, I just can't, yeah. I can't move on with my life because you guys won't yeah. stop. And so long yeah. as you won't stop, I will continue to be dragged along because I don't have the willpower to ignore it. So every time I'm like, you know what? Three, I, I didn't like three. The ending, I was like, this is nonsense. I'm cool. I'm just going to walk up. And then they show, they show me four. And I'm like, oh, dang it. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll keep I'll keep seeing what's happening. They don't even have freaking Xehanort anymore. And so I don't know what he's fighting at this point. But um, yep. <laughs> screw it. I'll yep. see what they're doing. So, yeah, it's like I'm going to play it. I'm not going to act like I'm not going to play it. But I, just, I think it's going to be so far from now. That I don't, I almost don't feel like it's worth talking about too much beyond this. Okay, we got this reveal. Now from this point onwards, it's like there's nothing really much to talk about because it's going to be incredibly long. Again, like we're by the time this comes out, it's going to be arguable about whether we even own the hardware that will run this game. <laughs> it's yep. it's just facts. Maybe, so maybe past it. Like they 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 missed the entirety of the PS3 generation. That tells you what type of people we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. They missed they ported. They ported. They, yeah. Two of them, I think. Yeah, they did one point five and two point five on three eventually, but um, they're just ports. But yeah, they missed the entirety of the PS3 generation. Yeah, and yeah. and they, they they made the four. They they were able to do Kingdom Hearts three on on PS4, but. Um, yeah, well, well, because of the placement of it, I would totally. Nomura is not a fast guy, and the and Square do not output. And if they if they say they're in early development right now, that tells me that, I mean, at the very least, four or five year dev cycle, like you would expect that they they don't have quick turnarounds. This is not Assassin's Creed. It's not Call of Duty. They don't quick turn around no. these games. Um, so and, and they typically like to release games that are not in complete disarray. The, the for the most part, when you get a Kingdom Hearts game, mm-hmm. it, it'll run. Solid front to back. Then you might find some frame ratey things, but for the most part, it, but it's never. No, it's never broken. No, they they do pretty polished experiences, uh, no matter what. And so I know they're going to take time with this. So if that means delaying it three years, they don't give a, they don't care. Like they'll, they'll do it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's Kingdom Hearts, man. Like I, I'm excited about it, but I almost don't know what to think because I'm just like I can't believe we're doing this again. Like I cannot believe yeah. I'm coming up on thirty and we're still doing Kingdom Hearts. Like it's. Yep. It's like Absolutely. it's like amazing, but it's like a beautiful thing, and it's heinous at the same time. It's like I cannot believe 
I'm coming up on 30 and I'm still like, oh, Kingdom Hearts 4. I'm like, look at the shape of me, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a world we live yeah. in. Yeah. All right, guys. So that was the show. Um, and we'll see you not next week, but the week after that. So I hope you enjoyed the yeah. show. This has been the Neo Vintage Podcast. I'm here with... Steve, hope you guys enjoyed. And we'll see you guys then. Bye.